Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate. Yes, but who are you? I'm Ben Anderson. Okay. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. He's also the beat writer for the Utah Jazz for KSL.com. I am a contributor at KSL.com. I also host your Ute React postgame show right here after every Utah football game on ESPN 700. You can tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. We have a big show for you today because we have not talked in a while. So yeah. There's a lot to cover. We, don't, we didn't know anything about the Jazz last time we uh, talked, and now we know quite a bit more about what this season could look like. And in retrospect, like we didn't know anything about the Jazz like a week ago. I was, you know, sure. I remember kind of being really disappointed we didn't have a show Thursday because I felt like there was a lot to talk about yeah. with the, with the Jazz's first couple of games, and they were looking really good. And then uh, this back-to-back over the last couple of days has been rough. Yeah. Really real, bad. real, real bad. If you have questions, tweet at us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops, at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. You can also give us a call, 877-353-0700. Happy to take your calls, concerns, anything you want to talk about with the NBA, 877-353-0700. Yeah, and I think there, I mean, I don't, it'll be interesting to see if we get any calls or, or questions today because, like, I think one or two things happens when when teams lose, right? You either get really angry, passionate fans that want it fixed immediately, or you get people just tuning out. Yeah, checking um, out totally. And, you know, given the sports scene in, in the rest of Utah right now, you know, obviously football's still going on, but maybe the teams have underperformed. I'm, I'm curious from a, I guess, a sh- social sports science point of view, if you will. Well, I think that was what was so welcome about the Jazz Open to the season, where they went 2-1 and one to start the year with impressive wins over Denver, who everyone thought was going to be a playoff team. And then Oklahoma City, who is going to be a playoff team, but people thought would be really good, and a narrow loss to Minnesota on the road, and then being Oklahoma City on the second night of a back-to-back, it felt like, hey, this team might have something. This might be one of those teams that is not necessarily filled with stars, but has such a good identity that they know how to win games. Right. And then the last two games happened, and the Jazz look like they have no identity, they have no offense. You think? No, Even I- though the defense has been fine, it's actually been pretty good. They still don't feel like they're able to get stops when they need to or get defensive yeah. rebounds when they need to. And, and I feel like that has, has robbed the Jazz of what kind of the semblance was of their identity early on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's funny because it, it feels the defense felt worse in the last couple of games than it yeah. actually was, right? And maybe that was some of that is because you're playing the Suns, who are really bad. and, and uh, But still, you only allowed 97 points per 100 possessions or right. whatever it was. Like, that's that's great. Um, it, it's just, it, it was so ugly. You can't give up 16 offensive rebounds to that team. You can't give up 24 turnovers to that team. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, as Quinn Snyder pointed out, it's 40 extra possessions that right. you're just like Crazy. handing over to the Phoenix Suns. Right. And it, it, even, you know, uh, again, my backyard basketball team would be able to use those 40 possessions and, in a reasonable sort of way. You know, w- one of the things, and this is where you can talk about some of the difficulties with, uh, defensive rating. Over 100 possessions, and obviously that's how you determine it, but for those who aren't super big on d- defensive rating. but yeah. Okay, so the Suns shoot 6 of 19. They shoot 32% from the three-point line yesterday. Okay. So that's really, really bad. I mean, it's not great. It's not terrible, it's not ter- yeah, but it's, it's not, not as great. It's a jazz shot. Sure, but, yeah, but it's, it's not great. It's not good. And that's going to lower your, your – that's going to help the other team's defensive rating. Mm-hmm. The problem, I think, for a lot of jazz fans – I think you tweeted this out, Andy. I'd have to go back and look at your Twitter – was that it, there just seemed like there was such an inordinate amount of straight line drives right to the basket with very little ability for the Jazz wing defenders to stop anybody from getting penetration. And then when you're getting that penetration, 
that's when defenses start to break down. And right. it seemed like the Jazz had been pretty good about that in the past, even earlier in the season, but certainly in years past, that stopping that from happening. And or, or teams were, were not trying to do it because they didn't want to go in and face Rudy Gobert. And, right, and with the Clippers, it kind of made sense because you can't help off of DeAndre Jordan in the paint to, to stop that drive right. or else you're going to get lobbed, right? Uh, and so, or Blake. You know, I, I, right, or Blake, right. Whatever ends up, you've, they've got a lot of finishers sure. around the rim. The Suns, it's not that big of a worry. No, I mean, Tyson Chandler was maybe the first guy we saw doing it with regularity. But he's not in the that NBA. guy anymore. He's certainly not that guy, and Alex Len is not that guy either. No. Yeah, and you know if they play Dragon Bender at the five, that's not that guy, right? right. I mean, it's it's it was kind of disappointing, and, and I think so. You know, there's a couple things going on there. First of all, I, I thought the Jazz's perimeter defense was not that good yesterday, um, and the interior. I mean, that's the thing is, I thought the defense was bad yesterday, except it's just that the Jazz didn't let the Suns go to the free throw line ever. Um, they were, I think, like they had eight or nine free throw yeah. attempts, and then. The the three point shooting and and really the shooting in general was was off for the Suns too. Right. Well, Devin Booker wasn't very good last night. No. He finished with seventeen points on nineteen shots. That's great. The problem was T.J. Warren had twenty seven points on twelve makes on twenty attempts. I mean, the Jazz just could not figure out how to get off the floor, or how to get the ball back in their hands offensively. And then when they did, they threw it away. And again, that was a result of all the offensive rebounds that they gave up to Alex Len, which is really concerning because that's where one of the that's the spot where the Jazz should win their matchups every single night. Certainly the the starting center mm-hmm. with Rudy Gobert in the starting center, and then back up with the way Ekbeudo had played so far. I didn't expect him to get dominated by Alex Len, and he was. And I tweeted out last night, "That's the best I've ever seen Alex Len play." Sure. By a huge margin, and that's that's concerning. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's you'd hope so from Alex Len, who's you know kind of fighting for his contract, fighting for an NBA life as a, he's a, signed his qualifying offer. But is Udo year. not doing the but, same right. thing? Right. Well, Udo's I guess got an extra year. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you've got a good point. Um, we've got two questions on Twitter, and they both basically ask the same thing. Brandon Whitesides asks, "Why, when we need offense, is Quinn putting Alec Burks in the doghouse?" Allowing Mitchell to play Alec Burks' style with no consequences. Somebody didn't read the triple team. No, on yeah, Monday I've, night. I've talked about this. On, yeah. I, I maybe it was Tuesday. Alec, night. It, Alec Burks was awful, awful, awful in that Clippers game. And, yeah, and I, I don't know if you can say he cost them the win, but he he didn't help. He didn't help, and I, I think it's he's not that good offensively. That's the thing. That's really what it is, right? Like Alec Burks conceptually is this off the bench scorer guy he, right. who would fit what you need, right? What Alec Burks actually is, is right. not that guy. Perception versus reality. Right. He is perceived as like this microwave spark plug off the bench. Reality is he's an inefficient scorer who doesn't play defense. Right. And, and it's, and he's not that good of a scorer because he can't finish at the rims. Right. And I, I should look at what the numbers were for this year, but last year he was 40% from the rim. Right. That's it's Ricky not Rubio okay. numbers. That's Ricky Rubio. Right. Right. Uh, he, not a good three point shooter. I actually think that's my favorite part of his game, and then he was one right. for five on Tuesday. So right. you know, it, and then he just takes way too many pull up mid range jumpers that you just don't want in your offense early in the shot clock. And so he's not good at finding other guys. And then the defense is honestly sometimes disqualifyingly bad. I mean, right. he got burned backdoor by Cinderius Thornwell twice. Right. A lot of people who, again, you're not just—it's—it's it's not that hard to stay attached to him, or at least know where he is at all times. Here. Here's what was weird to me last night, and I actually thought might have been something that Quinn Snyder was doing. That felt, not that he threw the game. You don't throw games in the NBA as you're a coach. But that did feel like a statement game from Quinn Snyder saying, Alec Burks, if you're not going to play defense, you're not going to play, and I don't care if we're in game five or if we're in game 60. 
It just yeah. doesn't matter to me. We don't need you if you're not going to play that way. I was surprised we didn't see Royce O'Neal, and I also wondered if he was trying to make a statement to Royce O'Neal because it was the second night of a back-to-back when the Jazz could have used defense and three-point shooting, and that's what Royce O'Neal signed with the team to do. Did Royce O'Neal need a statement delivered to him? Well, that's my question. No, that's I, my thought. I don't think so either, and that might disqualify the idea that this was a statement game from Quinn Snyder of trying to say, hey, guys, if we're not going to pre- prepare— and you're just going to kind of casually walk out there and think you're going to beat teams, I'm going to take an early season loss to prove to you guys that you need to play hard because the Lakers are coming to town, the Mavericks are coming to town. You're going to play some of these bad teams coming up over the next stretch. You know, what disqualifies me from that in my mind is that Rodney Hood played, right? And Rodney Hood, A, played with the left calf strain that kept him out for a couple yeah. games, and he was he was probable or questionable for the game before sure. as well, and then said he had a little bit of pain in it afterwards. So to me, that says, okay, the Jazz were really trying to win this game because they had their number one score. They realized that their scoring was terrible in the Clippers game and said, okay, we need our best score guy back, Rodney Hood, and, and see what we can do with him. And Rodney had he had a decent game last night. It wasn't the most efficient thing in the world, 7 for 16. But, you know, 22 points, you're fine with it. And a couple of those were just late jack shots. I mean, he, he actually yeah. was really good for most of the night. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but then I, I honestly think he thought that playing Alec Burks was probably going to cost them more than it helped them. And, you know, again, given what happened in the Clippers game, I, I don't really d- blame him. Honestly, given what's happened in the 304 previous games in Alec yeah. Burks' career, maybe that's not that unfair. Sure. Uh, I thought Alec Burks had a pretty good preseason. Uh, certainly the, yeah. the opening start to preseason, yeah. he shot the ball well. And that probably earned him part of that rotation. And then Dante going down certainly earned him some more minutes in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And then he had the terrible night against the Clippers where it was just classic Alec Burks falling down, not playing defense. And maybe, yeah, Quinn Snyder was trying to say, hey, Alec, we're just we're not going to deal with that this year. And, that, and I mean, I, I'm curious because he was playing better defense, I thought, in preseason and in the first three games. So maybe there's a chance to earn that back. And I do think there's a real question of, like, whether average Alec Burks is better than average Howell Neto, where Howell Neto is going to do generally the right thing, where he's fitting the system and is not going to lose guys back door and isn't going to take terrible shots and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, is is probably not an NBA rotation player because of his lack of athleticism. All right. If you want to tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, that's the best way to do it. You can also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. We will take your questions. We'll take your calls, 877-353-0700, as we are talking to Jazz and the NBA for the next hour and 45 minutes. The, I want to ask you this. Okay, go ahead. No, one other thing on okay. this backup guard thing. Plan A was playing Donovan Mitchell at the point guard, yeah. and that was such a catastrophe that you know you had to go with Plan B and Plan C. But I, I, if Donovan Mitchell is anywhere near the kind of player that we thought he would be coming out of preseason, I still think maybe the most sense is think sensical thing to do is play Donovan at the point and Royce O'Neal at the two. I agree with you. Uh, I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell, but I want to. May, we might need to do yeah, a we whole need to, we need segment to do a whole segment on Donovan. on Donovan Mitchell because. There's some real concerning things there, and there's some good things there, and we'll, we'll talk about that. What are the good things? Uh, I'll tell you about it. Okay. We'll talk about that. We'll save that coming up. We'll do it in the next segment, uh, yep. coming up in about 10 minutes. There's some things I like, and I tweeted about it a little bit, and, and I still think things we need to be careful with when we're diagnosing a guy after five games of his yeah, career. That's true. But uh, are we concerned about the Utah Jazz? Is there a major concern that you think is season-long, or is it just too small of a sample size coming off of emotional back-to-back losses? Yeah, this team is going to be bad offensively like i you know i think there's no way they're an above average offensive team worse than you expected um what weirds me out is the turnovers and the offensive rebounding and you know with if you start Derek favors and rudy gobert you should be an above average offensive rebounding team just by sending those two guys to the glass and quinn snyder is all about getting all three everyone else back and right and stopping transition defense 
Well, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert have a, a blank slate. They carte blanche to go out and do whatever they want on the offensive glass, and those guys haven't figured out a way to impact that at all. They've right. been one of the worst two teams in the league at, on on the offensive glass, and that's surprising to me. And then second, so I guess I would expect that to improve. So that's that's one, I guess, optimistic thing okay. in how bad they've been so far that I think has to improve. The, the second thing is they're just not going to give up this many turnovers. Ricky Rubio is a better point guard than this. Sure. Uh, I think, and I think Quinn mentioned this last night, the team just doesn't know each other very well right now. He mentioned it, but he mentioned it as like, look, we can't use this as an excuse anymore. Sure. Uh, y- you know, sometimes you say the things that you don't want to use an excuse when secretly that's kind of the excuse <laughs> yeah, in your yeah. mind. And, and I think he knows that. And he's right. He's saying it's it's getting to the end of the point where we can use that as an excuse. But that he, he is also saying that they, that might be the reason why we're having trouble. And, like, you can see that, right? Like, you sure. can see there are a lot of possessions where, like, Rudy Gobert is going back and forth where he's just – Setting a screen, rolling. The timing doesn't work right. Setting a screen, rolling. You know, yeah. and it's it's just kind of he's he's lost in kind of this mid range zone because the the timing isn't right with him and Rubio. Honestly, him the the pick and roll with Hood and Gobert last night actually worked pretty well. Yeah, uh, and and probably should have been used more often. I, I don't. I'm surprised the offense has been as bad as it is. Yeah. Uh, now some of that is because you have guys who aren't very good shooters taking a lot of shots. Most notably Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, he's just taking way too many shots, but. I like that he's willing to take shots because one of the major issues on this team, and you, you and I noticed it, I think, at the exact same time in the Minnesota Timberwolves game, because I think we said out almost back-to-back tweets about it, was that Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood were getting wide-open looks at the corner three, which is the single number one shot if you can drop for any offense in the NBA, especially from Joe Ingles, who you wrote about or tweeted about being maybe the best corner three-point shooter on earth right now. Right, and he looked like a dead person. Like he and he's just in... like, well, what do I do? I've got two seconds to shoot this ball, and he would not shoot it. Right. And then last night, another good example. He had a great shot. It wasn't a corner three, but it was a wide-open three with a chance that if he would have taken it with 32, 33 seconds left, would have set up a two-for-one at the end of the first half, and he passed it up, and then the Jazz ended up getting a turnover like six seconds later. Yeah. Now, luckily, the Jazz got the ball back on an offensive foul, I believe, and ended up getting the last shot of the second half, but still... Really kind of inexcusable execution late when all the execution you needed was to shoot an open three-point shot, which is what Joe Ingles signed for $13 million a year to do. Right, and Joe Ingles has had this problem his entire career, uh, and it seemed like he had kind of turned it around at the end of last season. He took nine threes the other night, and, and, and right, it was really was good. That, yeah. And then Quinn said, that's what we want. We want nine threes a game. And right. then he started passing them up again. And like again, Rodney Hood, again, you mentioned him as another guy who passed up shots. He, he, he's told me his goal is to take... Ten threes a game, right? And that's not—that's not crazy. That's a new NBA. He should be taking ten threes right. a game, and he's just passing up these open shots. Right. It's like these guys get out of—it's it, kind of a mental thing where these guys miss their first couple of shots, and then it's like, okay, we can never make another outside shot ever again, and that leads to turnovers and and driving into the middle of the paint where they've got four guys because they haven't made any outside shots. It's just like, no, keep shooting; it'll come. Just, you know. If so long as it's a good shot, I'm happy with you taking it. Uh, and then I've been unimpressed. I, I'm surprised that Rudy Gobert's scoring isn't higher than it is. He's at 14.4 yeah. points a game. He was at 14 last year, playing next to a guy who dominated possessions and got a, a decent amount of possessions, not a ton for a leading scorer in Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. but still got enough possessions to be a bona fide leading scorer in the NBA and a top 20 scorer in the NBA. Hayward used those types of present uh, those. He had that type of usage uh, right. last year. 
And now that's gone, and I expected Rudy to find an ability to get the ball more, either rolling to the rim, getting to the foul line, et cetera, et cetera. And he's not much higher than he was last. He's only taken one shot more this year than he was last year, and I think that's got to climb significantly. Yeah, I just, I just want to see him getting more opportunities. The problem is. Every team knows that's going to be the Jazz' first action in their offense, and if they deny it, then you need to have somebody outside of that stepping up and getting those shots, and you haven't seen it. Yeah, and you know, I think teams have been really willing to go chuck Rudy Gobert when as he rolls to the rim, so he's not getting those opportunities. But that does mean that there are a lot of open outside shots for the rest of the team, and a they haven't been making them, and b they haven't been taking them. And <laughs> when they yeah. so it's it's really frustrating. A um, couple other tweets we've got Great. in the meantime. Again, Brandon Whiteside's asked, kind of, we're talking about Alec Burks and, and Donovan Mitchell. Says Donovan Mitchell has got to be costing us on the offensive end. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell he's, is costing us. He's the, the worst Jazz. player in the NBA right now. Right. So. And that's not, a, and that's not hyperbole. He's honestly the worst player in the NBA who's getting minutes right now, and he's playing a lot of minutes. Because he's shooting 25% and taking 30% of your possessions, right? Like, that's, that's very, 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 very bad. Right. Uh, so yeah, Donovan Mitchell is costing you hugely on the offensive end. The difference is that, he might be the future of the franchise, whereas right. Alec Burks is not going to be a better player than he was four seasons ago. Most likely, yeah. There, there's there's very little chance that he has this growth pattern because his usage jumps dramatically, whereas th- those are possessions that you're hoping are being learned from Donovan Mitchell. And you probably trust that Donovan Mitchell is learning from them because of his character. And that's not to, to bang on Alec Burks' character, but maybe something the Jazz see in practice or how he adjusts or how he reacts to something he's being taught doesn't change. Like not reading backdoor cuts or not watching uh, his defender when he's watching the ball, you know, versus Donovan Mitchell picking up things and improving on them. It's funny. Like I remember, not Ty Corbin, but someone in his coaching staff complaining about Alec Burks to me when in my first year covering the team, and I was kind of skeptical. It was like, yeah, you know, he's a young guy, but he the the complaint was that he never learned. Right, like right. he would make the same mistake over and over again in practice, um, and then make that same mistake, and and you know. In, in, game. in games yeah. and no matter how many times you showed it him in, in film and practice, right. whatever it was, he never got he never it. got better. And, you know, I, I thought some of that was maybe coaching and some of that was situation and maybe some of that was that, you know, he never got the, the chance to start with that first sure. unit really and, and things like that. Quinn Snyder is really good at teaching people things. Right. And maybe I'm I'm too much of a Quinn fanboy, but really, like, maybe it's Alec Burke. Okay, Quinn said something really interesting, and it kind of slipped by in a post-game press conference. Uh, it was after one of uh, Alec Burke's really good games early in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was even a, a pre-game presser that he does when he's talking to the media. But he said, Alec gets on me for only pointing out the negative, negative things he does mm-hmm. and never the positive things. Which is a mindset revealer about Alec Burks to me, which is Alec is only focusing on the things he does well and not focusing on the things he does poorly, which is what I think Quinn Snyder is talking about and right. why you don't play a guy. Look, everyone in the NBA is good and can do really good things. You don't accidentally make it to the NBA. Like yeah. Occasionally a seven-footer sneaks in who doesn't belong, and even those days are long behind us now for the most part, but occasionally these huge guys – will get there even though they hate basketball and aren't necessarily great at anything, but they're good at being tall. These guys who are wings specifically, if you're only focusing on the things you do well and you're not going to improve on the things you do poorly, you're not good enough to be in the NBA when you get drafted. You have to get significantly better better unless you're LeBron, and that's about it. He was good enough when he got drafted to play. Otherwise, you have a lot to work on, and if Alec only wants to focus on the things he does well and not the things he does poorly, he's not good enough to be in the NBA. And I think 
to Alex credit, like he figured out, okay, uh, he was like, the th- thing that I do badly is that I don't shoot well enough from three. Yeah. So he worked on his three point shot sure. and now he's an average three point sure. shooter. It's just like anything with any nuance, sure. I don't feel like Or he gets. defense. Right. Or any defense. And maybe just, that's the hard part. And that's the effort thing. And I think that's got to be maddening for coaches. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's a good defensive player right now. No, I think he's overly aggressive, but at least right. like he's he's trying and he, I think he's getting deflections, right? Which sure, he's, he's getting deflections. He's blocked a couple of shots kind of right. in remarkable fashion. The block on Alex Lenny had last night he's after good. Rudy Gobert blocked him. Those are the little things where at least it says like he knows when to take a chance sometimes. And yeah. those are things you can say and we're going to talk about this again coming up in about five minutes. I really want to talk about Donovan Mitchell. Okay. It's about paring it down. He's totally hyper puppy right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like he's got right. his errors are ones of of commission, not omission. Right. And Alec Burks is the same way on offense, but on defense, it's a lot of falling asleep and yeah. kind of James Harden style defense. Uh, I also haven't been that impressed with uh, Derek Favors. Yeah. It's... And last night he was actually really bad. And had a deceptively good box score because he scored all of his points against Marquise Chris with three minutes to go before Chris got hurt. Yeah, it's funny. Like, he was six for eight. But so a couple things. First of all, he's the only Jazz starter with a positive plus minus. Okay. Which, so I I feel like I, I feel like, again, Alec Burks is another guy that people, or sorry, Derek Favors is another guy people accuse me of hating on too much. Okay. Um, so I, I do notice the flaws in his game where he does kind of float in and out of games. And then when he floats out, he kind of brings himself back in by taking bad mid-range shots. Right. Or at last night took that terrible three that caused Quinn to kind of put his hands on his face. Yeah. In what do they call it? The misery. fail Cobra or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, that's, it was an open three, I guess. It's just not the shot for the situation. Right. So I don't know what to make of Derek favor so far. Um, it's an improvement over last year. I get why people say that he's better as a power forward than a center, but I do think that he needs to be more impactful at using his size advantage over traditional, or I guess, small power forwards now that are playing in the NBA. Okay, is there a reason, and I'm not trying to hammer on Derek Favors, I'm with, I like Derek Favors, I've always liked him, I was excited when he got traded here, I, I liked him in high school, I, I'm a fan of Derek Favors, I always have been, he hasn't gotten dramatically better. Yeah. In his career, he's added Again, a couple he's of things. Guy who's done, you know, kind of focused on the post game and and the mid range shot and sure. kind of extending out that range. Honestly, he was a really good defender as as a rookie, right? And I, I think the athleticism going well, th- that was what I was going to ask you. Why, why, is there a reason why he can't be as good as Ekpe Udo defensively? And some of it's just instinctual. And Ekpe yeah. Udo is a remarkably instinctual and has great length uh, defensive player. But like those are some of the things that Favors should have been able to do and just hasn't really become that guy. And he's never quite burst past that point where you thought, okay, he's got to take that next major step. He's always taken little steps. And I want that major step, and it, it never came, and it's not going to come. And I think that's unfortunate because I was waiting for it to come. It, it happened with Rudy last year. Right. You know, we saw it happen with Darren Williams. We saw it happen with Mehmet Okur even took a major step late in his career. Boozer took huge steps in Utah. Favors just never took that next enormous leap. And I'm just – I'm kind of tired of waiting for it. And I think the Jazz probably are too, and that's why I'd be surprised if he's in the Jazz uniform by the end of the year. Yeah, or at least next season, certainly. I, certainly I don't next think season. that he's going to be a, re-signed as, as a free agent. Heck, I don't think that he necessarily wants to come back sure. given the opportunities that have has sometimes, you know, he's been on the bench at the right. end of fourth quarters and stuff like that. Although, honestly, this season he's been playing at the end of games. So, um, I you know, I think, again, it's really early and maybe we're, we're being too harsh on And the it. Jazz are two and three. They're not right, one and not, four. right. Uh, and, and they're, they're going to play be, the Lakers, and tomorrow, they should be and then three and play three. Dallas, and right. you know it, it's the schedule for the rest of November is easy. All right, we'll take your tweets at Andy B Larson. Uh, that's Andy Larson. You can tweet at me Ben Anderson at Ben's Hoops 
on Twitter. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz superstar rookie during the summer, who's been anything but since the regular season started. Stick around. ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Yeah, we talk about getting Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Andy Larson. You can find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. We will happily take your tweets or your calls, 877-353-0700, regarding the Utah Jazz or the NBA, if you have questions. We do have a couple good questions. Do we want to get to them now, or do we want to talk Donovan? Always get to the questions. All right, questions. Uh, Yojo Spinez asks, is Ricky Rubio trying to be someone who he isn't? Yes. Well, yeah. someone who he hasn't been. But I don't know if that's eh, someone who he isn't. He's. I don't think he is that player. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing what, you know, if, if he were that player now, we'd be making more three-point shots and turning sure. off over the ball less. But I do think there's a case to be made that, like, maybe he can grow to be that player even as soon as the end of the season. And it's probably worth messing around for these first few games to see if, like, uber-aggressive Ricky Rubio can be semi-successful. I think he can be better than he has been in his NBA career. I agree. I don't think he's ever going to be twenty and ten guy. Agreed. You know yeah. he's not. He's not he's never going to be a natural scorer. Right. But he can be a guy who's a little bit more aggressive shooting the ball because, as you were one of the first people who pointed out, that mid range jumper he has is really good, especially on the left side, yeah. which is the only shot he practices in the pregame. Right. If you go which out is... and watch shoot around, he shoots right footed and left footed jumpers from that uh, left side, just let just left of the free throw line. It's the only shot he takes, and it's exactly where he likes to go because Rudy likes to catch the ball on that side and then dunk the ball. Yep. So and he's always shooting it, and he's good at it. Yeah, and you know that is kind of a sort of offense, um, and you know everything else offensively he's been pretty bad at. If you can hit one shot really, really consistently enough that people have to watch you there, and then maybe you can find kind of that decent secondary shot. A lot of guys, I mean, Matt Harping did that for the last several years of his Jazz career, which was that 15 footer coming off the curl. Yep. Just pulling up and hitting that and just hit it over and over and over, and it was pretty devastating. If you can hit that a lot, you can be a decent player. Bruce Bowen hitting the corner three. If you have one shot you can go to, you can get 10 points a game just shooting one shot over and over. So he needs to be able to do that, and if he can do that at a respectable rate and then figure out a little bit better how to finish at the rim or get out and transition and finish, then he can be a much better player. And this is the best scoring year of his career. He's at 13.8. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the percentages aren't really there so far, and, and the bigger worry to me is the turnovers, and I think – I think he'll stop himself there at some point. You know, I you don't you just don't see that many six or seven turnover games um, sure. from Ricky Rubio in, in his career. I'm, I'm less worried about Rubio than uh, than some other guys. Uh, our friend Angela Treasure on Twitter says, "Please do a segment about which horror movies jazz players are." Thanks. Jazz just aren't scary enough right now to to be horror movies. Like yeah. if they were really good, that would be one thing. Yeah. So some bad horror movies. Uh, you know, there's the. Uh, uh, it follows. Did you see it follows? No. It's a scary movie. Has a really tall guy who has his eyes blacked out at one point. That could be Rudy Gobert because he's also tall. I okay. think we'll just end it there. <laughs> he's the only guy who puts any fear into anybody on this jazz basketball team right now. Uh, okay, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, let's do it. He is the worst player in the NBA getting minutes right now. He that doesn't mean he's the least talented player. Right, but he is the team who he's the player when he's on the floor that hurts his team more than any other player on the planet right now in the NBA. And it's hurting the Jazz really, really bad. And I don't know if they have any choice but to play him and no. play him that many minutes. And you know what? Honestly, they probably should, right? Like, this season, they're not going to compete for a championship. They're kind of 
competing for a playoff spot, but really it's not like they're trying they don't need to like win Rudy Gobert's heart over to keep him. If anything, Donovan Mitchell's development is probably the most important thing under the Jazz's control right now, right? So I don't hate giving him a ton of time and just seeing what he does with it. And does he need to take fewer shots? Yes. Like, you can't have games where he's a 41% usage rate guy. You can't have right. games where he pretends he's Russell Westbrook. Right. Uh, but I like... I, I'm I'm more okay with giving him some some rope and seeing what he does with it rather than than not at this point. I would rather him jump off the high dive and someone have to go and save him from drowning than being afraid to get into the pool at all. Yeah, and he is jumping off the high dive every chance he gets. He's just a little kid who, anytime you look away, he's running and jumping off the high dive and almost drowning. It's so funny how different his rookie year is so far again to Dante Exum, right? right. Where Dante was, right. did nothing at all. Right. And not, you know, was like a 5% usage guy. Uh, Donovan's trying to do everything. And then when he messes up, is trying to do three more things to make up for that first mess up. I've always said this. I'm a believer in prolific outputs from rookies. Yeah. Even if it's inefficient. I want a game where you're accidentally good enough to score 20 points, and he scored 19 the other night. Yep. There's a lot of rookies, Donovan, uh, Dante Exum, who will go their whole regular season, even getting starters minutes like Dante was for a while, and not get close to 20 points. Right. I like a guy who accidentally scores that many points. The one thing Dante accidentally did is he get 12 assists one game. Right. And I thought, okay, he showed a little bit of that ability to run an offense, find guys that are in spots to score, and get him the ball. And then we really haven't seen that since. But for the most part, I like guys who can go out, especially guys who are going to have to score in their career, and Donovan Mitchell's going to have to score in his career. Mm-hmm. I like guys that go out and put up those big games, and then you say, okay, I know you have the talent. Now we've got to sharpen that tool. Yeah. Okay, you know he can score 20 points a game now, and if you give enough shots, he'll get there. Now you've got to let him know that, hey, the 15 shots you took to get there were good shots. The problem was you took 15 more shots that were really bad, <laughs> yeah. and you got to pass that ball. And I think that's a good thing because he can learn that. I I really strongly suspect he's smart enough to learn that. He just he's got to get there. Yeah, and it, you know we were talking about Alec Burks earlier as kind of a guy who just says, "Hey, I need to go out there and do my thing." By all accounts, Donovan's been kind of I don't want to say devastated, but he's been really hard on himself over kind of his performance over these first five games, and he kind of realizes, "Look, I I'm not the guy I thought I was, and I'm going to need to change how I do things, or maybe even." Get better at my, you know, at my skill set in order to compete against NBA regular season talent. What I had was good enough in the preseason uh, against the Maccabees and and the Sydney Kings of the world against the summer league teams. It's not good enough against DeAndre Jordan in the paint, you know. Right. So I need to, you know, I need to make better reads. I need to make better plays, and and I think we're, we'll see some of that from Donovan. Yes, he's been the worst player in the NBA so far, and yes, he's actually a large part of why the Jazz have have kind of uh, underperformed in these games. I think if he if he is an average player against Minnesota, for example, the Jazz win that game. But uh, again, there's no other bigger goal in this season than to figure out what Donovan Mitchell can do. Uh, and these guys aren't solely responsible for why he's played so poorly. Donovan Mitchell is the number one reason why he's played so poorly. His decision making, what he's decided to do with the ball has been the number one reason he's been so bad. But he has played against good players. Mm-hmm. He was guarding Jimmy Butler in his second game as an NBA player. Yeah. That's crazy. Paul George in his third game. And then Paul George in his third game. Uh, not that uh, that uh, Austin Rivers is striking the fear of God in anybody, but he, he hasn't had the easiest stretch of shooting guards. Even last night he was guarding Devin Booker at stretches, and Devin Booker knows how to, knows how to do what he does really well, which is score the ball. 
You know, he yeah. he can go out there and do that. And, and there's not a hey, you know, Jamal Murray's not a bad, even though I know he played some point guard. So did Donovan Mitchell that first game actually for the Jazz. Right. He, he's not a bad player either. So he has not had the easiest jump into the NBA. He has no. played some tough guys, and I'm sure he's swimming. Or drowning, I guess. He's not swimming. He's drowning a little bit right now, five games in, which is what happens with rookies. Uh, it will he get is better, the worst rookie. But it will get better. But, uh, yeah. It will get significantly better for Donovan Mitchell the rest of the way. And <laughs> I bet you he gets to a point where he's averaging over 10 points a game this year. And what did we? Sh- I think we set his numbers at over 40% shooting and over 35% from the three-point line before the season. We said if he could shoot those numbers... That would be a really, really good debut. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he'll ever. I don't think he's going to get there because he started so poorly, <laughs> right. and he's not a natural shooter yet. He, he kind of had to add that even at Louisville. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit discouraged at how bad he's been on open shots. Uh, but his numbers will improve. However, his size is a problem. He's too small to do some of the things he's trying to do and be a two foot leaper. And I that's some the, of, that's the thing to me. Some of that we buy into it too much, but the fact that he can't get off the floor quickly when he gets into the paint because he has to gather and right. then jump and is so small might mean he can never be a guy who finishes inside the paint, which was one of the main reasons you liked him coming out of college. And I don't mean you, I mean everyone. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons he was likable coming out of college was that he could jump and he could dunk on people. And I mean, you don't even Bryce Cotton. You remember the jazz used to draw up plays for Bryce Cotton to kind of get the ball close to the rim or alley-oops. We haven't even seen that yet for Donovan Mitchell, and I wonder if that's because Quinn Snyder knows it's not there. Yeah, or he's a little bit spooked by the Gordon Hayward thing and doesn't want anyone doing backdoors. Maybe not that. Know. Maybe not that type of backdoor, but there's got to be an option for Donovan Mitchell to be able to get the ball yeah. to paint. And and when a guy like that who can't shoot needs to get going, you get him a, you get him a shot close to the rim, and I don't even see plays where the Jazz are trying to get that that he's not creating out of isolation. Yeah, uh, or, I mean... It's hard because he should have those opportunities when he's running pick and roll and stuff. Right. But, it, again, he's just kind of getting swallowed up inside. So uh, that's that's really concerning to me because that yeah. can be a, a not a fatal flaw, but that can be bad enough that it keeps him from ever being able to take that next step. I'll say this. He's been creative enough in how he has finished at the rim when he has that I'm – I think that if he expands that creativity and, and kind of knows when and where to use his different moves – I mean, he showed off a nice Euro step. He's used the the – uh, kind of pump fake layup, yeah. spin kind of thing. Which is kind of a weird move because it, it's going to get called for a travel. He traveled the first time he did it. When he did it against Denver and mm-hmm. it worked, he still traveled. I mean, he still slid his foot. They just yeah. don't call it. I, they don't call that a lot. They don't. It, it, sure. He just needs to be careful with that because okay. they will call it on him, especially if they realize, hey, he travels on this call every single time he does <laughs> right. it. They will call it on him because it's not like he's getting any fouls called on for him either. He's not getting any benefit That's at the a, rim. Right. And so, and I think in college you get those calls a lot more. Um, where you just kind of jump into a guy and and make yeah. the contact, the NBA has gotten to the point where if the def- kind of the, the tie goes to the defender a little bit, yep. Uh, and so you you have to be really creative about how you drop fouls. There is a bigger percentage now. So I, I didn't love Don. If you remember that, I didn't love Donovan Mitchell coming out of the draft. Yeah, and I, I remember telling you specifically, you liked him. Yeah, I did. I remember telling you specifically. My fear of why – because he was a late riser. I wonder if people remember this now. Mm-hmm. He was in the 20s for most of the year of the college season and then really started jumping up and everyone said, this guy's going to get drafted in the lottery, and, and certainly he did. Uh, I remember being a little bit afraid of him climbing up late because there was such a lack of good wings in this draft. There was not a lot of good wings. And he doesn't have ideal size. And if other drafts with more wings with ideal size would have been in this draft, he wouldn't have gotten picked where he did. Hmm. Uh, potentially. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. I- that, was, that was my theory at the time. My and, theory was that he's won every interview and was playing defense in, in every workout. Right. Right. And so he, 
he rose for the same reason that other guys do, Absolutely. regardless of position. Absolutely. And then he came out in the summer league and looked fantastic. And right. I thought I was eating crow, and I thought, I'm totally wrong about this guy. And he, he actually was okay in the preseason, too. I thought he had some okay games. Uh, and then once we've gotten into the real part of the league, he's been significantly worse. I have a bigger belief now, not that I did when he was coming out of the draft. I, I thought there was a real chance he wouldn't make it coming out of the draft. And then I thought I was totally wrong and totally missed on him. I'm back a little bit saying there's like a 5 to 10% chance he just can't make it. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's possible, and I think you know there, that happens to guys. I'll, I'll say this. I did a study about a year and a half ago where I looked at, maybe it was two years ago, that I, I looked at guys who rise in the draft versus guys who fall in the draft. Who is who's a more better, successful? Who's more successful in okay. the NBA? What'd you find out? There wasn't a difference. Oh, really? So it, the the biggest, you know, whether you rose or fall was not a statistically significant correlation of as to whether or not you did well. Interesting. Um. So for whatever reason, those guys do rise or fall. It doesn't seem to to matter to you know whether or not they're going to be good players. It's a good study. Thanks. Because it would make you. It would make. I would think, and tr- this would be the obvious thought. The traditional thought is guys who are rising would be better because they're showing something in an NBA environment during workouts that works. And when people are getting their medicals on them, guys fall. And then you say, well, yeah, yeah of course. He's not going to make it. He doesn't have any knees. See, and I, I might have said that guys who fall are, are better because the what we saw during the college process sure. was more indicative of how they'll play than during the workout and, right. and interview process. Right. Uh, and so you know, I honestly thought it could go either way for what you said or what I said, and it didn't go either way. It was you, could, just, you could go to Brandon Roy and say he's both. He's right. both great because he fell, and he's bad because he didn't last in the league because he's got bad knees. I, and I mean, and I, obviously Brandon Roy is a success for where he dra- was drafted. No matter how long he lasted, sure. you know, you still got whatever hundred win shares out of him. Right. But uh, it, it's just one of those things that you can you can tell good stories uh, on either side of that. You've got the DeAndre Jordans who fall, uh, and you've got the Russell Westbrooks who who rise, and both you know there are success stories on either side of that table. Okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're going to look around the NBA, kind of let you know what's going on tonight. Uh, and, and certainly we have a full another hour of the show. We're going to get back to talking about the Jazz. A couple questions, too. And we'll take your questions. Tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops, 877-353-0700. You can call us. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. As we talk to the NBA and the Utah Jazz as often as we can on Thursday nights. Should be more common now that uh, baseball's going to be over in the next little bit. Uh, No more Thursday night games in college football for the University of Utah. And then uh, the Jazz don't play a ton on Thursday. So we should be able to make most of these. They play a couple of Thursdays. But uh, let's look around the NBA right now. we got a whole second hour coming up starting at 8 o'clock, so make sure you stay tuned for that. We're going to get more into the Utah Jazz. But as we like to do at the end of this segment, uh, we, or at the end of the hour, we like to look around the league a little bit. Hawks uh, threatening to hand the Bulls their first win of the season. They're trailing with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Bulls up 75-67. to 67. That's Hawks a really... leading score right now? Marco Bellinelli. Oh, I like, I like Marco. Really? That's, a, that's an underappreciated player. I think it's a... Well-appreciated player. Yeah, oh, you think, think so? You think it over-appreciated? Maybe over-appreciated. Okay. I mean, he's a shooter. Yeah, he can't play defense at all. Uh, he had like 20 points in their season opener, and so he's probably just riding that for the rest <laughs> of the year. Plus, yeah. uh, Dennis Schroeder's been hurt, so right. and he would be their leading scorer. Otherwise, I think he got hurt in a game with very few points, and that's probably really uh, hurt his average. Uh, Bulls, terrible. 
one of the two winless teams this year with the New York Knicks still. Uh, Grizzlies at home looking to uh, extend their very good play. They do have one loss on the season so far, uh, but they've already beat Houston this year. They've already beat Golden State this year. Grizzlies up on the Mavericks at the end of three, seventy-six to sixty-eight, and they lost to the Mavericks last night. Uh, and the Mavericks are terrible, right? Which is so it's it's weird that they beat the Grizzlies, beat the Rockets, and then lose to the lose to the Mavs. But looks like they'll probably get this one. Celtics on the road at the Bucks, sixty-five, sixty-three. Uh, this could be an interesting game in the standings come the end of the year. This could be the battle for 2-3. Can we talk about how Kyrie's court thing today? Did you see this on Twitter? Yeah, so the Bucks are playing with a retro floor. The floor that they played with when Oscar Robertson played for Milwaukee and Kareem Lowell Cinder was there before he was Kareem played there. Yeah, they've gone back to kind of this old this old court, right? Right. And so, is it the actual floor? No. Kyrie thought it was the actual floor. Okay. So I, Kyrie was asked about it. Hey, what do you think about you know playing on this court that Oscar Robertson played on? And okay. he's like, well, I walked out there, and I don't know if it's safe or anything, right. but I took three steps out there, and I knew it wasn't right. So I hope that gets fixed before game time. Like, first of all, it's a new court. It's exactly the okay. same court that they always have played on. It's just painted differently. Okay, that's interesting. So Kyrie's dumb. He's just a dumb person. Well, that's what we said. But yeah, remember he tried to say that the whole flat earth thing was fake? Right, because no, he took not. three steps on a road and was like, oh, that was flat. No. So, and, and we were questioning whether or not it was smart because it was a ruse or whether he's just dumb. And he's just dumb. Uh, you know, the but he's also do that. got 20 points on 13 shots. I believe the original jazz floor is up in Washington, right? Didn't John Stockton give it to Sounds right. the Gonzaga team or something? It's like on their practice floor. Yeah, I could be mixing up stories, and maybe he just bought a new floor for the Gonzaga team, but... Uh, the old jazz floor is somewhere being played on, and yeah, it's probably not as nice. Uh, there were rumors for a long time that the old Celtics floor just had dead spots all over it before right. they refinished it because it was kind of the fun thing. They had the the, the cool wood overlay and yeah, that, how they had done it, the paddle, the patchwork, or, yeah. yeah. And apparently, it just had horrible spots where if you bounced the ball, it didn't come back to you, <laughs> and that was notorious <laughs> for being that way. Uh, anyways, those are your uh, games underway right now. Sixty-five, sixty-five, Celtics on the road at the Bucks. Bucks, one of the more interesting teams to watch this year. Uh, let's talk Hayward. We haven't done that yet because we haven't done a show since yeah. he destroyed his ankle. Or do we want to do questions? Oh yeah, let's get to questions. Okay, we'll uh, talk Hayward in the next. I hour. feel bad, yeah, because I, I feel bad because we haven't gotten to uh, Casey Kleinman's question asking. I've seen so many poor passes, dropped balls, and out of control handles. How can this change? I don't really have an answer for that, other than like I think the first thing is take the open shots, right? Because if yeah. you take the open shots, right. then you don't get in the possession long enough to have those poor passes, drop balls, and out of control handles. Um, some of its guys have to be better. Ricky Rubio can't is a better ball handler than he's shown, and he can't have seven, six turnover, six or seven turnovers per game. Uh, and then also, I think a little bit of it is just staying ready, where guys aren't ready for how Ricky Rubio passes them the ball. And uh, I think some of that will come, but I think he's surprising guys like Derek Favors and, and Rudy Gobert right now. Here's what it is: the players' roles on the teams are not well defined yet. And because they're not well-defined, guys are trying to do too much and be too unselfish. When that's where you're passing up open shots is when you're trying to be too unselfish and you're trying to say, well, let's just keep this ball movement going. Instead of saying, like, Joe Johnson, that's the best shot you're going to find. Joe Ingles, I know it's early in the clock, but Gordon Hayward's not on the team anymore. You're not going to wait until the end of the shot clock and give him the ball and say, go make something happen. You just got – I don't think that role is defined yet. And, in fact, I I don't want to ruin too much of this because I want to talk about it in the next hour, but – I mean, the Jazz don't know where to go late in games, and the only option is Rodney Hood, and they still don't know where to go late in games. Right, and it, it you know like it's kind of worked a little bit so far for them. You know, remember in that Minnesota game, sure they lost in the end, but they came back from being ten down with six right. minutes left, just because Ricky Rubio started to draw a ton of fouls. Uh, um, I think 
they would have gone more to Rodney there. I hope so, but Rodney wasn't in that game because he right. had the calf injury. He he got hurt. So yeah, um, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, what would have happened in there? And really, the Jazz had two chances. Maybe I think it was three chances to tie that game, even after Jamal Crawford hit that crazy shot. So. Sure. Really quick, Sam Briner has a question too. Just asking, talk me off the ledge after last night's game. It wasn't an enjoyable work day at work today. Sam is in Phoenix, so that's why his okay. coworkers were giving him trouble. Okay, I think that's actually a good segue because I want to talk about this in the next segment. Whether or not there should be a true panic level for Jazz fans right now. Okay, I I want to talk big picture Jazz based off what we learned for the first five games of the season. What what do the Jazz need to look like over the next 10? What do the Jazz need to look like over the next 15 games? And if their record is this, what do they need to do? And if their record is that, how do they progress on top of that? I like it. I want to talk about that coming up in the next segment. We'll also take your questions. We've got, uh, it's an interestingly, I think it's a pretty easy schedule. So we'll break that down. Um, and they've got a real chance to kind of write the ship here. All right. Tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me. I'm Ben's Hoops on Twitter. You can call us 877-353-0700. It's the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 802. He's Andy Larson. I am Ben Anderson. You have questions. Tweet at Andy. You want to talk to Jazz? You want to talk to the NBA? Tweet at him at Andy B. Larson. You can also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. We'll take your calls, 877-353-0700, 877-353-0700. All right, Andy, you, we got a question before the break okay. about talking somebody off the edge. Who was it? Uh, Sam in Phoenix. Sam in Phoenix. Asked to be talked off the edge for the Jazz. Okay. The two losses the Jazz have most recently, which are the only two losses you should be fretting about on the season because you played Minnesota when they you were winless. that worried about the Clippers one? Well, that, that, right, and that's where I'm getting. I think the Clippers are really good. I actually think the Clippers, hot take, might be better than they were last year when they had Chris Paul no. because not more dangerous. Not more dangerous, but they were never a threat to win the championship anyways, not as long as Golden State existed, and they're not as good as San Antonio. I like the defined identities on that team. Now, Patrick Beverly and Milos Teodosic are not as good as Chris Paul. Even combined, they're not as good as Chris Paul. But I like now that they have a wing defender, and, and Chris Paul's probably as good as... Uh, as uh, uh, Who's the point guard I just talked about? Who's Milos? No. no. Or, the other guy. Patrick Beverly. Okay. Uh, Chris Paul might be as good defensively as Patrick Beverly is, actually. Yeah. Chris Paul's a, a nightmare on defense, in a good way, in the way you want your team to be uh, on defense. I like, though, that Patrick Beverly seems to set a tone, and I worry about the tone that Chris Paul set for teams because nobody likes Chris Paul. I worry about him being gone if that opens up things for Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan to kind of be a little careless the way they need to, and then you just have all that aggression on Patrick Beverly, and that's fine if it's there because he, he likes to have it, he likes to take it, he likes to be aggressive, he likes to push Lonzo Ball down at half court. I like all those things. I appreciate your hot take and your willingness to have a hot take. I don't think it's right. Okay. Um, like it's just, I think the Clippers got worse because Chris Paul's a really, really, really good player. Sure. And you know, sure, you added Gallo, but you also lost there. I think they lost a lot of bench guys. Right. Uh, obviously, Jamal Crawford. Right. Now they were starting Austin Rivers with Milos out. Their bench becomes really thin. So, I mean, Lou Williams is your sixth man, which is right. fine. Their seventh man is Wes Johnson. Uh, Sam Decker hasn't really played very much. Then you've got guys like Willie Reed and Bryce Johnson. I mean, it's How many games did they win last year? Do we know? Uh, 51, right? The same, same as the Jazz? Jazz? Yeah. 
I bet you they win very close to that number, if not the same. I think they're, you know, I think they're like a 46, 47 win team, but I think, I, you know, I think there's, they fell off less than the Jazz did, certainly, but I think there's, I, I and I, I'm, I feel like I'm splitting hairs here because I really do like what the Clippers are and I think they're going to be good. I don't think there's any way they're better than the, what they were last year. I, I like their identity better now than I liked before when they had Chris Paul. Okay. I just thought there was there was just something that didn't work there. They're something still coached just by Doc clicking. Rivers, and they're still coached by Doc Rivers, which is an issue. Uh, they, and maybe I'm just liking that they're off to a hot start, and they're three and zero on the season, yeah. so they're good, and they're they're playing really well right now. And they beat the Jazz. I'm not that worried about that. But they played the Jazz, the Suns, and the Lakers. So okay, far. so they played terrible teams. Uh, next sign, you're playing a weird wounded animal team right now in Phoenix that has a new coach that could help them win games. Because uh, Earl Watson's not a good coach. No offense, to Earl Watson. He was not, but he's a terrible coach. Uh, players coach. And that does. That's not a real thing. That's the thing people say for <laughs> yeah. really bad coaches when they don't want to be coached hard. That's a, that's actually a good point. Players coaches are bad. Tyrone Corbin, hell of a players right. coach. Can we think of good players coaches? Doc Rivers. He won a championship, but okay. Hey, when is he gone? When he hasn't had superstars around him? And in fact, he's he's underachieved more than he's overachieved. Anytime you win a championship, yeah. you're overachieving, unless you're Golden State. Pretty much to win, you're overachieving because you beat the field, and you should never beat the field right, when the right. field's that good, unless you're Golden State right now or if you have LeBron with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so he 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 over-excelled uh, one time. He, he played he, – he was better than expected one time and then has been worse, I think, probably pretty much every other time. But, yeah, players' coaches yeah. generally is not a real thing. It's a bad thing. It's just for bad coaches that the only reason they have a job is because they got the vote of confidence from the players who don't want to work hard in practice. Right. Like, is Ty Lue a good coach? He's probably a better-than-average coach. He's better coach. than Earl Watson. Yeah, he's a lot better than Earl Watson. Uh, and even then, some of that was probably just getting out of the way. Yeah. And he's got LeBron, which, again, certainly helps. <laughs> uh, that's the key. Anyway. So I'd... there's that. Playing for Jay Triano as opposed to playing for Earl Watson might spark something. You also might have something to rally around right now with the Eric Bledsoe situation. I think that's real. I think Mike James was better than Eric Bledsoe would have been yesterday. So this idea that, hey, we're going to show Eric Bledsoe or we're mad or we're happy we're getting these minutes, we're going to come out and play better, and we're sick of the way everyone's talking about us losing two games by 40 points in the opening part of the season or, or whatever it was, I, I think that's a real thing. I don't think Phoenix is good. Jazz were also on the second night of a back-to-back, and Phoenix wasn't. Yeah. Now, it's early in the season. That back-to-back shouldn't kill you, but you're still on the second night of a back-to-back. And you had crushed Phoenix in the preseason. You probably moonwalked into that game thinking you would, you, you would sleepwalk through it, and, and you just you got blown. Sure, you got and, blown out. And, I mean, if, if you want to be positive, again, the fact that you gave them 40 possessions, you turned it over 24 times and yeah. gave them 16 offensive rebounds, right. and you lost that game by, what, was it nine in the end? You had a chance to win the game. You kept around enough to have a chance to win the game when you played that badly. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's time to jump. Yeah. You could get there pretty quickly, though. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility that the Jazz we've seen over the last two nights are who they actually are and that this could be a really bad team 30 games into the season. Yeah, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. But honestly, if you keep having a defensive rating of 98 or whatever, and maybe that starts to fall off as the team kind of loses its edge in any way offensively loses any spirit i guess because you know you you talk about defense being effort uh then maybe that happens but so long as they keep holding teams under 100 points per possession on the defensive end i think it's it's going to be fine you know they may may not make the playoffs and they could be the ninth or the tenth seed you could see them losing out to denver new orleans uh portland something like that 
but I, I don't think it'll be horrific. And honestly, I, I do really think that this team is too good to tank. Here's my concern for the Jazz. They had 106 points to start the season, then 97, then 96, then 84, and then they 88 jumped back up to 88. So maybe they changed direction. But they played one of the worst teams we've seen in, NBA, in the NBA in the last couple of seasons. So that's really concerning. It makes me think that teams, now that they have three games to watch and scout a little bit, they just say, well, if you take this away, they can't do anything. Right. And I'm curious if that's going to be the problem because if you simply can't score, you're going to stop playing defense. If you can't win games, you're going to stop playing defense. And then there's absolutely no – and what what you just said a minute ago scares me. Why on earth would this Jazz team want to finish ninth or 10th? Why on earth would you ever – if you're in – Let's say you're 40 games. Let's say you're 50 games in. Let's say you're at the all-star break. You're at the trade deadline. deadline. That's really what matters. And you're in 10th place, but you're three games out of the 8th spot. I might blow it up. Yeah, no, I don't think you blow up the... I think you keep Ricky and Rudy. And And Donovan. And Donovan. And probably Rodney Hood. Okay. Unless you can really get something back. Right. But that's... So that's the thing is the Jazz's trade assets aren't brilliant either. I mean, so I thought Dennis Lindsay had an interesting quote on media day where he said, I want to find what the level of this team is and then we'll right. make adjustments from there. Right. And that was, and, and he was talking about making adjustments during the season. The jazz are going to make a trade this year. Yeah. And, and you know, whether that's Derek favors, who's a free agent next year, whether that's Rodney hood, Dante Exum, whether that's even guys who may have a longer term future, maybe they want to rid themselves of the Joe Ingles contract. Now that Gordon Hayward hasn't signed, uh, you know, maybe you, you find a way to dump Alec Burks on somebody. Maybe you yeah. find a way to, you know, whatever it is, whatever you feel like you need, the Jazz want will be making adjustments to this roster because they know that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense long-term right now. Even, and I, I'm pro-playoffs because I'm pro-culture. I think culture's a real thing. Yeah. And look at Phoenix's culture right now. It's broken. And that's part of the reason why that team is broken. Um, but But I also believe that there's very little value in the Jazz even making the eighth seed this year other than just showing that you can do it without Gordon Hayward. And maybe that's actually a huge step for some yeah, of these guys. Yeah, I think that's something. Uh, and, you know, if if you're the eighth seed, then you've had associated leaps with some guys that, that matter. Right. right. So that means you've, you've probably, had Rudy Gobert right. become an 18-point-a-game guy. You've uh, had Donovan right. Mitchell become a player. You've, you know, all Or even Rodney thing. Hood was the guy you saw last right. night who realizes, hey, and, and even a, before he got hurt against uh, Minnesota, where he said, I've got to be the scorer on this team, and I can't do it for four minutes. I've got to do it for 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, in order for the Jazz to be the eighth seed, someone has to step up in a real way that you, you would hope would show dividends for the next contending Jazz team. So I think there's value in that. But I, I, I'm i with you. If the Jazz are three or four games out of the eighth spot in the West and in 10th place, and it doesn't look like you're going to catch the Clippers because there's no reason the Clippers are going to fall off, or there's no reason you're going to catch Memphis because Memphis isn't going to fall off, I would really start looking at how do we get rid of Joe Johnson? Yeah. How do you get rid of Jonas Drebko? How do you get rid of Tabo Cephalosha? Even though I like Tabo, he's, he's actually been one of the, the bright spots, I think, so far early in the season. How do you get rid of those guys... Even though they're expiring at the end of the year, get whatever little bit, whatever yeah. small piece you can for them and blow this up and be okay losing games down the stretch and drop from the 10th best team in the West to the 13th best team in the West and just see if you can move from the 11th draft pick to the 7th draft pick. See, and I think, yeah, you, you, you'd you hope for that. I don't know that like dropping Joe Johnson, Derek Favors, and Tavo Cephalosha is enough to get you the 7th pick. You know what I mean? Like right, unless that's you still absolutely kind of a decent co- team. Unless you commit that all those minutes are going to go to Donovan Mitchell and he's right. still struggling and you're you're using a rehab assignment for Dante Exum and he comes back this year and you say, "Yeah, 
we're going to let Dante Exum have 20 more games to see what he's worth financially for us in the offseason. I think there's a real chance that Dante comes back this year. Oh, I, I, I'm expecting him to come back this year. And that's totally uninformed. Uh, but just based off the way the Jazz have been willing to end seasons early mm. in the past, uh, including Dante Exum, they've just said, just take the year off. We're not going to ru- rush you back. And I get knees are different than shoulders. But the, the fact that they didn't rule him out for the season already made me think that they're expecting him to come back. And they want him to come back because you want to see if he can play because you have to make a decision about him. And honestly, it's just one of the worst situations you found yourself in because that was a number five overall pick that you mortgaged a season to get. And you don't even know if you're going to resign him at the end of his first contract. I mean, that's worst case scenario you could ever find yeah. with a lottery pick. Right. Especially one that was so highly touted and that you put so much work in landing. Yeah, and, and it's not necessarily even Dante's fault, you know, right? No, it's not at all. It's just worst case scenario. Luck happens. Right, uh, and, and it's happened poorly for the Jazz. It's happened poorly for a lot of teams in that ser- uh, scenario. So that's where I would be in this season. And that's why I'm talking you off the, the cliff, talking you off the ledge, because the last two games are just two games of five on a team that's brand new, that's missing its star, that doesn't know how to close games, that doesn't know where it's going when it needs to score. And those are all things that can get worked out. However, if this continues, and you're five games under 530 games in, or in January... Or, or even December, you're yeah, five then you make 500. Moves. Then I really start thinking, how do you disassemble this? And understand that signing Udo, Jarebko, Tabo, all these guys to these one-year plus-one deals that you've got the option to extend them uh, if you want to bring them back on the team option, it was designed specifically for that reason. And then, as you mentioned, that's what Dennis said during the during the preseason or during uh, media day. Yeah. He said he wants to see what this team is and then adjust from there. So, like, best-case scenario here is Rudy Gobert turns out to be the player that we kind of think he can be, where he's a plus-minus superstar, 16 points a game, 13 rebounds a game, changes the way everything is played. You know, really what he was for the last three months of last season. Uh, Donovan Mitchell develops, probably not this year, but next year into a legitimate second score type. But even shows this year that he can be that. Right. Because you, you, you should be able to know by the end of his rookie year that he's going to be able to play. Agreed. Yeah, and if you if he's if you're questioning whether or not he's an NBA player after year one, then it's he's not going to be a star in year right. three, probably. You know? Right. Um, and then you got to find a way to get a third star, and that's either free agency. You know, the Jazz if they waive everyone and let Rodney and let Derek Favors and let Dante Exum and and all those three guys that they signed over the offseason go, they do have a max salary slot. Right. Can you get someone to use it? Jabari Parker. Jabari Parker is the right. Name. It's the name I've thrown out. Uh, do you, can you make a trade for somebody using whatever flotsam you've got going around? You know, can you make a, you trade your pick, let's say for a good player. Do you use that pick if to uh, move up into the top five of this draft? I don't think you'll be able to, um, or for a guy who, you know, maybe a team wants to trade an Eric Bledsoe type. Um, and then you kind of see if, you know, once you've got your three quote unquote stars, then you're, you kind of build around that. I don't think the Jazz... There are a lot of ifs there. Sure. A lot of ifs. A lot of ifs. Uh, I, the Jazz actually have a lot of flexibility there. The problem is the upside flexibility is pretty low, yeah. at least in season. Agreed. I don't think you're getting a first-round draft pick back for either Favors or Joe Johnson, and I think those are your most... You might get a late one. You might. if let, Let's say San Antonio says, you know what? Golden State hasn't put it together this year. Draymond Green's going down with a knee injury that's going to cost him the rest of the season. We actually might be able to win it this season. And Joe Johnson could be that guy who, if we've got Rudy Gay and Joe Johnson coming off the bench, we can win the championship this year. We'll give you the 29th pick or right. the 28th pick. There's potential for that. I would be surprised if it gets there, but there's potential for that. 
Uh, and Joe Johnson is the guy I would circle as being most likely to do it. Great. Favors maybe if you really could sell him or you knew for sure that he was going to be a long-term part of your future. But I, I would be surprised if any team trading for him felt like they knew exactly what they were getting. Exactly. And, and honestly, the biggest problem with Favors is that there's no team who needs a big man. Because there, there's a glut of bigs in this league. Right. Because everyone's going small. Right. There is a lot of good big guys that can play and are really unheralded. And they just are, they're good. Everyone, yeah. There's just so many good big guys because the roles have been changed. I don't want to say they're they're lessened or more. I mean, some guys shoot, some guys don't shoot, but but they have the ability to dunk and rebound and run the floor. And there's value in all of those guys. Right. I mean, you got Ekbeudo for nothing. Yeah. And he's a great player. And he costs absolutely nothing. Uh, let's talk about the good things we've seen from the Jazz this year. I feel like we have talked a lot, a yeah. lot of negatives so far, but things that have been good so far that have maybe surprised you or, or you think are going to work long term. Okay, it's hard. Uh, I mean, Joe Ingles had a really good first three games sure. before he was inexplicably sick, you know, and, and looked right. like he was wearing a Halloween costume with uh, makeup or whatever. You know, right. honestly, he just he looked really dead yesterday um, and on Tuesday, too. Um, uh, I think I'm encouraged. I'll say this. I'm encouraged by the offensive execution, again, mostly in the first three to four games, in that it was getting them baskets at the rim. Um, you look at the assist. The Jazz have been one of the worst assist teams in the league over the last three seasons. They've been one of the best passing teams, but one of the worst assist teams. It seemed like over the first three games, the Jazz really did figure out how to get open shots for their teammates um, through the course of, of Snyder's offense. Uh, last night maybe had the fewest examples of it, even though it did just maybe coming to my mind they've had the fewest examples of it, but I'm certain there were stretches because the Jazz continued to get back in that game. But in every game so far, the Jazz have had an absolutely dominant stretch of basketball. Mm-hmm. I, dominant like you don't see from NBA teams. Against Denver, what was it, a 25-4 to run that they had? Right. Something insane that they were down, what, 15 in the third quarter? Yeah, you went down from down 15 to up 15 in, in no five time. minutes. Uh, dominant stretches that you just don't see from teams that aren't really, really... Golden State can do that. San Antonio did it to Miami last night. You see it from really good teams. You don't generally see it from really bad teams. Right. Uh, they did it against... They were down 10, minute, t- 10 with five minutes to go and had the lead with the ball against Minnesota, and Rudy Gobert just threw the ball out of bounds and it cost him the game. But in five minutes, you erased a 10-point deficit purely off of your defense and your hustle. Yeah. And this team ought to be able to play defense and hustle. Then you did it against Oklahoma City the next night. Where they started out up on you, and then you blew them out, and then you blew them out again in the second quarter, and then you blew them out again in the third quarter. You responded to every single one of their runs by, you know, and by extending your lead, right? Which was really impressive from the Jazz. And then you even did it when Donovan Mitchell came on against the Clippers, where you had a chance again in that game. What they cut it down to six? Yeah. I mean, you were down a ton in the third quarter, and then by defense and hustle, which you'll talk actually a lot of it from Donovan Mitchell, you got back and shot in the making. Game. Honestly, you started making yeah. the open shots, right? So that's promising. That's yeah. a good sign for the Jazz because I don't think every team has the ability to do that, and the Jazz clearly defensively have the ability to do that because they can truly shut you down and right. just not allow you to score for stretches. The bench unit really does seem special defensively, and you know they weren't last night, but beyond that, Ekpe Udo, Tabo Cephalosha working together has been killer for opposing bench. And I've loved Tabo. Tabo's He's been, been my biggest surprise. I wish he could shoot better, uh, and maybe he gets up to that 35% from three. Right. He needs to if the Jazz are going to be successful. Uh, and then, yeah, you just can't have... Joe Johnson going 0 for 5 or 0 for 4 from the three-point line. And he won't. Yeah. For his career, he never he's, does that. He's better than that. So the odds are he won't continue to do that. And then Donovan Mitchell, you hope, goes, you know, 1 for 5 yeah. this year. Or 1 for <laughs> one 4 this year. 2 for 6. Yeah, if he could go 2 for 6, that'd be great. I don't know if he's uh, going to get there. Uh, yeah. If you can do that, this team can win a lot of games. Ekpe has been phenomenal, and maybe you start playing him more. Yeah. 
Maybe you start finding ways to get him on the floor. I won't be surprised because the Jazz have seemed like they've had slow starts in the first and third quarters if you do see a, a lineup shakeup coming up in the next little bit. Yeah, if it's if it keeps going downhill again, you you wanted to kind of keep that bench unit together because it was working so well. Well, but, you, but here's, the starters have been so bad that it's like here's what I like. Got to do something. Part of the the bench unit that's been good has been Udo and Favors on the floor at the same time, mm-hmm. and you can move Favors out of the starting lineup. You can conceivably Derek Favors will be VVV upset. Yep, he's Derek Favors. Be, I don't think he's gonna be on the team next year. No, but will he play off the bench in a like? productive way you hope you say you, Derek you get you're trying to get money man this is your contract year yeah. this is your Alex I mean, Len year you right. got to be playing hard you got to be good right uh, or you're gonna get every shot on the low post there's nobody else who can score on that team especially if Joe Johnson moves into your place as the starter now I don't know if Joe Johnson can really start on an NBA team right now I don't know if he's got the legs or the ability to do it long term but you may force him to I I, I like Tavo in the starting lineup as a four okay and you can do that too uh, but but I, I I'm not opposed to if you have to move favors to the bench even if it's going to upset him, you find a way to get him to 30 minutes or or his minutes still, and throw him more shots yeah. and let let him get his 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 point numbers up. So if you're moving faves to the bench and just kind of playing him next to Ekpe, is that kind of what you're thinking? Okay, because that's been good. Jazz have had stretches where that's been a really good defensive unit, and you got to have somebody down low who can score because Ekpe Udo is just. He he's, he's just atrocious with the ball in his hands. He's an okay passer. He, yeah, he's he's uh, a smart player. Yeah, but he can't he can't catch the ball and he can't finish. Well, right. he he's yeah he can't can't finish. catch and fin- and can't finish. So you can give those minutes to favors there. I could see that happening eventually because I don't hate the idea of surrounding Rudy with four guys who conceivably can shoot, whether they can or not. At least they will take shots. Right. And favors though he took three two three he point shots, shots last night. He took the first shot of the game was a three. And then the second to last shot of the game, really the last shot of the game, because when he missed that, the game was over. So he basically took the first and last shots of the game as threes. I want the books. I don't want the bookends from favors as far as three point shots. Yeah, and it's it's so funny. I I think that Derek Favors taking anything but a corner three experiment is probably over. a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I've really liked. There have been two stretches we've seen so far, but it's good because I don't remember seeing it at any point last year, and this is short term memory. But we didn't see it hardly enough last year from him. But we saw it a ton in the second half of his rookie season. Okay, was Rodney Hood's breakout? He's had two games this year where he's had really good stretches. Last night I thought he had really good stretches where it was clear that he was the Jazz scorer. He knew where to get to his spots. He easily got to his spots and then took the shot when the Jazz needed it. And then against Minnesota, he had that nine-point run of his own where he said, I'm just going to take over this game, and he's good enough to do it. Now, he just hit three threes in a row, which is lucky, and he's good enough three-point shooter to do that occasionally, and he could have just as easily missed three threes in a row like he did last night. But I want him to understand that he's got to be the scorer on this team. He has to take the open shots. Right. And I've seen... Twice he's really done that and looked good doing it. And one of the games he missed half a game with an injury, and then he didn't play the next game. So of the four actual games we've seen him, he's done it twice. And I don't remember him doing it at any point last year, but he was really good the year before that, specifically in the second half of the season where he had several 30-point outings and 20-plus point outings. He needs to be that guy. And he's shown it more willing this year than he was last year. The and it's thing, just, I think it's health-related. The thing with, yeah, I, definitely that's the case. But I think the thing with Rodney is, like, even if he's taking a bad shot, it's not really that bad of a shot because of how high he gets. Because he's six on foot eight. Because he's, he's an actual eight, jump he, shooter. He yeah. gets so much elevation, too. And he's just shooting over guys. So, right. like, even if he's getting, you know, his mid-range turnaround post-up game shots are not my favorite. Right. But they still go in at, like, 35%, right? right? Like, it's not the end of the world. It's like Joe Johnson. And if he has a three, then he should take that shot. Right. It's like Joe Johnson. 
Yeah. I wouldn't tell most players in the NBA to shoot the shots that Joe Johnson shoots or Carmelo Anthony. Right. But that's these big, weird, small forwards that exist in the NBA, and Rodney Hood's one of them. He's a big guy. He's mm-hmm. a big body. You need to go and you need to be able to shoot that mid-range shot because that's a shot you can get. And if you can hit it at a decent enough rate, it's a good it's a good skill to have. And he's a low turnover player too, which is absolutely what the Jazz need right now. Because he's not an over-dribbler. Right. He's a very easy dribbler, which I like about him. And I want to see him get the ball now in late-game situations and not Rudy Gobert eight-foot push shots and then Derek Favors threes <laughs> when the Jazz have a chance to get back into a game. Yeah. That was too much. Uh, okay, so I think there were some bads there and there were some goods there. Uh, I think what we said though is if the Jazz are bad at the All Star break, blow it up. Don't blow. Don't get rid of Rudy. Don't get your get rid of your corner pieces, your cornerstones. But trade off everything else you 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 can and rebuild your asset bank a little bit because the Jazz are asset depleted right now. Yeah, we'll have to hear from uh, Sam in Phoenix whether or not we talked him off the ledge. Uh, and then I think there were some good things there as well. And I like Donovan Mitchell. He's been bad. Yeah, he won't be bad. He won't be this bad because if he was, he would be the worst NBA player to ever play. Right, and I and he's not. Right, he's, he's not, just not that. Who was the guy that the uh, the Celtics drafted? Young out of uh, Kentucky. James Young name? is the James worst Young. NBA player. He's ever legitimately might be the worst. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's going to be Ben McLemore or uh, or or uh, what's his name? Wade Young. Baldwin getting cut in his second year is that was impressive. A bad. It's a bad look. Jazz fans wanted him. Yeah, they were wrong. They were wrong. Uh, you look. You go back to speaking of Donovan and Wade. You go back to the summer league game where Donovan Mitchell scored thirty-seven points and got eight steals. Like five of those deals were just Donovan or Wade Baldwin just passing him the ball, huh. like just playing for the Jazz. All right, we're gonna take a yeah. break. When we come back, we're gonna look around the NBA again. We didn't talk about Gordon Hayward. We'll still take your questions at Andy B Larson or at Ben's Hoops. We'll take your calls eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred. We should talk about the Gordon Hayward injury because it's yeah it's interesting should. and there's actually some big time fallout that could potentially come out of it that could change Gordon's career significantly and maybe it'll make Jazz fans happy. No. If you want to talk your no, I mean Let's... you want him to come back healthy. Yeah, but then what? You want everything bad to happen to him after that, not injury wise. So we'll talk about that <laughs> coming up on the other side. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700, the home of the youths. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the True Hoop affiliate uh, for the Utah Jazz. I'm Ben Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. He's also the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, where I am a contributor. I also host your Ute React post game show right here on ESPN 700 after every Utah football game. Uh, JP asked the worst question I've ever heard. <laughs> JP, you want to pipe up on that mic and talk to us? He's our producer. Yeah, I'd like to Let's ask you this it. question. Let's hear it. All right. So if the Warriors, same team, everything, but they had to play in sandals, would they still be a finals team or a finals favorite? No. Hot take. They wouldn't make the playoffs in the West. Yeah, I don't think so. If you can't run or jump and you can't play basketball and everything they do is about being concise and quick and there's nothing concise or quick or particularly attractive about men wearing sandals. Right. Like think, you know, way out on guys in sandals. Way, 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 way out. They'd be wearing socks. I own flip flops. I wear them occasionally. I hate them. I I never wear sandals, flip flops ever. I, I apparently just, slides are the things for guys. The you know that you see every basketball player wear. Why are they called slides now and not you just slide your sandals? Foot in. You just slide your oh, foot right in. Okay. Well, why are they called flip flops and not thongs? My mom called them thongs. Grab your thongs. A, great point. All the names are changing. Yeah, anything that wedges in somewhere tight should be called a thong, <laughs> just like the flip flop sandal. It's inappropriate. 
Andy, it's a horrible take. This point, uh, the a horrible question. The world is changing. You have to catch up. I think it's a pretty good question because here's the deal: you would have to change strategy if you're the Warriors, right? Because you can't you can't play five on five. You can't play defense. You can't yeah, play defense. yeah. You would have to. So Steph's they would already, go from Steph's already got the bad ankles. Defense Steph would last one. one game. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why all these old NBA players can't walk, and every new player can walk because shoe technology has changed dramatically that allows you to keep keep your knees and your ankles and your feet. None of these old guys can walk because they were playing in Chuck Taylors, and it's just yeah. no support there. And that's what you're playing in a worse version of a Chuck Taylor. I doubt they would be dunking because the sandals would fly See, off. Actually, I don't think that's the issue. You, you <laughs> yeah. could still Javale could still dunk. Yeah, Kevin Durant could still dunk. Your problem is that you're incredibly easy to guard. Yeah, your lateral quickness is zero. You right. can still shoot. You can still dunk. You yeah. just can't move side to side. You can do ISO. Kind of a little like, bit. You can do post ups. I mean, they you would be better. They would be better in barefoot than they would in sandals. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So barefoot, no. are they still favored? I think uh, they make the playoffs. Oh, you think? I, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, they make uh, the playoffs. Why aren't they favored if it's barefoot? Do you guys remember Gerald Green's like dunk in so the like, dunk why contest? Why would a guy not play socks? with his left? Yeah. Why would a guy if if why would they not be any good if he couldn't play with his left hand? It's a nece- it's a necessary tool to play his shoes. That's why shoes are such a huge deal. Now it's over. It's over the top. The shoe thing is way over the top right now. But you have to have them. Yeah, I've noticed the difference. Critical. I switched from my Starberries that I had that were eighty years Ooh. old, and the rubber on the bottom had turned to plastic. It had gotten so hard, it, I was just slipping and sliding everywhere. And I, I got some actual basketball shoes, and I noticed a significant difference because I could grip the floor all of a sudden. It's good. You must be killing Saturday pickup. Uh, my ankles were better, better than Gordon Hayward's ankles. Let's talk about Gordon Oof. Hayward's disgusting ankle break. It was exactly what every single Jazz fan had considered happening in Game 1. What if he hurt his knee? What if he broke it? What if he tore his knee up in that first game? Every single vindictive Jazz fan thought that and then felt horrible when it happened. In the first quarter. The Jazz ran that backdoor play so often. Yeah. And honestly, Gordon talked about it. Gordon was like, we need to do something about guys getting undercut on these alley-oop plays or else it's going to happen and someone's going to get critically hurt. Here's the thing. It was him. You don't see many people run that play because it's so dangerous. And Hayward, why was Hayward so good at it last year? Because he ran it so recklessly. If you want it to work, you have to run it mm-hmm. recklessly. Otherwise, you can't be timid running it. Otherwise, you're going to go up and catch the ball and bring it down. Or you're just going to say, eh, it wasn't there, coach. It wasn't yeah. there. I didn't see it. I couldn't get and to the ball. Honestly, Kyrie deserves a lot of blame there. Kyrie threw a hospital ball with LeBron James lurking yeah. right there. Right. And Jay Crowder was not really that beat on that backdoor play. So, uh, so the Jazz run it a lot differently where the Jazz had basically all five guys outside on, on the, on the right. perimeter. Right. And, you know, Rudy Gobert is coming up to pretend to set a screen and then Gordon Hayward is coming up like he usually does on every single other play and then backdoors him and then you've got all that kind of space. With the Celtics, for some reason, they were trying to run the same play, but with guys in the paint that in the could, paint. with LeBron James guy even in the right. paint who could disrupt that shot. So, um, I don't know. So it's, it's kind of dumb. I, 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 it's, you're probably right. You probably just shouldn't run that play because it's, it's, it's too, too dangerous. dangerous. It's not worth the two points. Um, but they, they also need it because Gordon Hayward was not involved in that game at all at so that point. So they were trying to get him involved. Right. And it came after a timeout. So I think that was like, Hey, Gordon, we're going to get you involved in the play. We're going to run the backdoor thing and it's going to be cool. And then nope. It, it seems really badly. I, I feel bad for like, I know there's a ton of Gordon Hayward backlash and, you know, he should have called Gail Miller and everything else. But, like, he's still a good dude. I don't know. He's not He's not a brave dude. He's not a courageous dude that wants to stand up to conflict and right, his, right. his difficult life choices. But 
he's nice enough. You he's know, not I don't a know. bad guy. No. He's not – you don't name a street after him after he retires. You know, he's and he didn't mean that much to the Jazz either. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's you know you don't you don't bronze him. Yeah, he doesn't need a bust anywhere, but no, never will he need that because he's not that type of guy. Uh, but yeah, there's no reason to be mad at Gordon Hayward, you know, and especially now I think this actually should give you more perspective on realizing, oh yeah, he made the right choice trying to go and compete for a championship hmm. because your career ends like that. That's a good point. And this changed his career. This is a career changing injury. Now I don't know if it's Sean Livingston change career changing. And look, Paul George has come back. Paul George came back and is the same and is player. really good. Yeah. I I think his trajectory would have been still better had he not broken his leg because he would have had another season of progression. Okay. He still wouldn't have had this fear of his leg breaking. He wouldn't have missed what seventy six games of his career and then yeah. came back and was still trying to work back, but was really good that next season. Sean Livingston was never going to be as good as either Paul George or Gordon Hayward. So Gordon Hayward will come back and be better than Sean Livingston is now. Don't, right, Livingston don't, don't was also mistake. probably overrated, right? Like really overrated. Yeah, he was still going off potential. He was a nine point per game scorer before that, and that's all he's ever been. Right. So yeah, th- those are unrelated. What I will say though is this could change the outlook on his career as far as what type of guy he is, and especially with Boston because he doesn't play this year. And let's say he's not Paul George next year. Well, Paul George came back, and we I don't know what the ligament damage is. It sounds like it was pretty limited with Hayward. I don't know what the major damage was with Hayward there. But let's say he misses all this season, which he's going to, and he's slow coming back next year. Okay, then you've got this year back. Well, Jalen Brown's really good. He's really good. He's not perfect. But for a 21-year-old, he averages 18, 19 points a game right now. Yeah. And he's shooting 47% from the floor. 36 from three. Yeah, Those I mean, are really, really good. Yeah, it is. In fact, he's better than Gordon Hayward was at 21 years old. Sure. Jason Tatum's 19 years old right now. And is averaging 15 points a game on 47% and 45% from the three point line. Now, that's not sustainable, but that doesn't, if he's shooting that well early, I don't think he's going to drop off and be a 25% three point shooter. So you can play those three guys in your starting lineup together. You, you just can, benchmark a smart. You can probably play, you're right, those three guys together. But if you're starting to say, okay, these guys all need money, and I know they're a couple years yeah. away from needing money, and you've got this huge contract, and Gordon Hayward's all of a sudden your fourth best player, which could happen. It could realistically happen that he's your fourth best player, and you need to replace either Al Horford, or you need to, you need to get uh, more out of that money as far as pieces go, as opposed to one piece. Gordon Hayward's career trajectory in Boston could have drastically changed with that injury. If Gordon Hayward is their fourth best player, their uh, NBA Finals team. Okay, that's a major question though for me. Okay, that, and that's a good point. If everyone they have is better than that, that's one thing. Is Kyrie actually better than Gordon Hayward? He wasn't last season. And he didn't he's not good this year. Not yet, no. He's averaging twenty points a game on thirty two percent from the three point line, thirty seven percent from the floor. Only six assists a game too. So he's not Kyrie is not a superstar. He's not a number one guy. Gordon's not a number one guy either. Unless Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum become number one guys, you might have too much money for guys who aren't number one guys. And that's my okay. question with Gordon Hayward, and I can see that happening because that was their fear last year, and they probably had more of a number one guy even in Isaiah Thomas. And they didn't feel like they had it, and they blew it up. And I could see Danny Ainge having a willingness to blow it up because he's done it in the past. Yeah. And he could do it again, and Gordon Hayward could be the victim here, unfortunately, because of what happened to his ankle. Yeah. I mean, on, and on the other hand, if that happens to him, I guess then he's probably a second banana somewhere else rather than the fourth banana in, in uh-huh. Boston under this scenario. But And Marcus Smart's probably gone next year anyways. I would be surprised if he's back in Boston. Yeah, again, just from a money point of view. Just because they understand they're going to spend a lot of money coming up, and they've got another, they've got more draft picks coming in. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, and maybe you trade Marcus Smart, or maybe you figure out a, a, or you just trade him for a player who can shoot and 
space the floor, and that kind of makes some sense too. It's not impossible for Gordon's career to still flourish and be great in Boston. I also see this as potentially where you say, hey, that's why it didn't work out. He missed a year. He didn't come back as good as second year. He's making too much money, and they want that money, and someone still wants to take him for the last two years of his deal at $50 million bucks and think that he can be a number two guy when he's the number four guy in Boston, and they think they can get more for him than what he actually is valuable for them. It could happen. I think by far the most likely scenario is he comes back next year, he's 95% of what he was, and you know they're probably an NBA Finals team because LeBron James isn't with the Cavs anymore. And there's potential for that. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look again around the NBA, some of the action tonight, and talk about some of the things we've learned so far, five games into the season, some players who have really emerged, and some things that have been disappointing. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, that's me. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. Find me at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Andy is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. That's where you can read him including his daily articles and game recaps, called the Triple Team. Do you um, like the Jazz Daily so far, by the way? I do. I like it. It's I'm good. Just, you produce good content. I thought I'd try. It's good to it's, – uh, it's appointment reading. I don't know when I'm going to write it, so please don't make it in your appointment. But it comes daily. But it right? does come daily. So that's what you want to do. And that's, a lot of people just read at night. You know, just you're working all day, come home, you're sitting on the couch, kids are in bed, and you're just flipping through Twitter or KSL or wherever you're going. KSL is a great website. Very good website. My favorite one. Uh, we both write for it. And so we're both <laughs> very biased towards that. And if someone else was paying us, maybe we would say something different. Uh, but it's a good ESPN700.com also. Another good very website. In fact, maybe the best website. That's probably probably second the best favorite? website. Uh, number one. Because okay. for right now. Nine <laughs> o'clock. Fair. Uh, let's talk about the NBA, what's going on right now, tonight, around the league. Uh, the Bulls did, in fact, get their first win of the season. Woo! No surprise, Robin Lopez, the best player on the Bulls so far. Uh, it's a, that quote where he realized he was the best player on the team. You know, they kind of one of the media members said, "Hey, you're the best person on this team," and he was like, "I've never." He's never been the best player on right. any team he's ever. He's played never on. been the best player in his household, right? Because his better, is better, better than he has. <laughs> and so now all rough. of a sudden, he's the best guy, scoring 16 points. And uh, Marco Bellinelli held true. Uh, was the leading scorer for the Hawks in that loss with 23 points. Uh, Denzel Valentine, very disappointing as a rookie. And as a sophomore, I should say. Very disappointing as a player. Is that fair? Uh, well, you drafted an old guy. Yeah. Don't and you drafted that. a player from Michigan State. Don't do and just for the most part, Michigan State guys suck. For the most part. There are exceptions to the rule. Magic Johnson was a good basketball <laughs> player, actually. Uh, Tom Izzo players, for the most part, have not worked out very well. Okay. Gary Harris is getting there. Zach yeah. Randolph is good. good. Uh, but for the most part... And uh, speaking of which, Zach Randolph and Boogie Cousins looked like they almost got into a fight in the very first play of the game. There was a spank there. There was a spank there. Old old crazy versus new crazy. <laughs> and in fact, crazy on crazy right now, Willie Cauley-Stein guarding Boogie Cousins, which is a Kentucky crazy. That's, uh, that's twofold Kentucky crazy. Okay, let's get back to the scores tonight. Grizzlies yeah. got their revenge win over the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks fall to 1-5 and five on the season. They were up big, and then Dallas came back with a four, they had 14 more points than uh, Memphis did in the second half, yep. but it was not enough. Uh, Celtics go on the road and beat the Bucks even on the retro floor, 96-89. to Giannis continues his MVP-level play, and he should be the favorite to win the MVP this year, and most likely will be as long as the Bucks finish in the top four 
uh, at 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists. Russell Westbrook forever changed the game, winning the MVP for a bad basketball team. Explain. How many times have we seen bad players, bad teams have an MVP on their on their roster? It does not happen. No, it doesn't happen. You're generally the best that player, obviously, the game? like LeBron. Well, it changes the MVP award. Okay. And guess what? That's going to change who gets in the, who gets into the Hall of Fame or not. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Russell should be in the Hall of Fame, though. You know, well, yeah, even if he's not. Yeah, an MVP absolutely. Uh, you know, Derrick Rose is going to be an interesting question. Probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but he has an MVP, and that probably that's the only thing that. Really suggests right. that he should be in the Hall. Uh, but that might be good enough by itself, unless he can find a way to win a championship and be a contributor on a team yep. to to get him into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you're going to see guys like Giannis, even if the Bucks finish fifth, they're going to say, "Well, his team wasn't good enough." But they'll say, "Well, Russell Westbrook's team was good enough," and so I, he should be in the conversation to be in the MVP. Yeah, and honestly, like we've just gotten better at the stats thing and understanding what players' value is outside of the team concept. So, uh, yeah, I. You know, I think Russell was a deserving MVP last year. If if Giannis wins it as a fifth seed with the East this year, he'll be, I think he'll be a deserving choice too. Clippers on the road at the Trail Blazers. Clippers are three and zero on the season. Blazers are three and one. The Clippers are up early in the second quarter, thirty nine to thirty six, and uh, CJ McCollum leading the way for the Trail Blazers with nine points right now. CJ McCollum is the player I'm looking at if I'm a Jazz fan. Not that I hope Donovan Mitchell turns into but has a similar career arc too, if yep. not sooner. Because C.J. McCollum was not a good NBA player's first year. And no. in fact, a lot of people thought he wasn't going to make it because we looked at Trey Burke and C.J. McCollum and Michael Carter-Williams, and I think most people said, well, Jazz fans, at least you got Trey Burke and you didn't end up with <laughs> C.J. McCollum. Yeah. And now it's totally flipped where you would rather have C.J. McCollum than any of those guys. Wow. I mean, those other two are terrible. Yes. Uh, one of them's barely in the league. In fact, two of them are barely in the league. Trey Burke's not even, he's not even on a two-way anymore. He's just, or he is on a two-way, sorry, but he's uh, right. going to be playing with the Westchester Knicks. Uh, did he not get called up by the actual Knicks? I saw some news on him today. Ooh, but maybe I, I could miss that. I thought he was. I missed Trey Burke news. That's that's out of character for me. Uh, Knicks sign. Yeah, this is still the two-week-old article. I saw a tweet about Trey Burke today, and I thought that meant that he had to have been called up or something. Uh, but I could totally be wrong. I really just skimmed past it because I saw Trey Burke and I thought, <laughs> what could he be doing that is noteworthy other than maybe playing for the Knicks, and the Knicks are terrible. Yeah, they really are. Uh, here's All right, while we're talking about things that would change the game, I think the I have a, a medium take on this that I think putting plus-minus on the box score changed the game. In a good way or a bad way? In a good way. Because guys... Cause you used to have Anton Jameson guys who would go out there and score 20 points and be like, I had a good night and y'all need to kind of step up your game. Rudy Gay famously would look at his stats during right. the during halftime to figure out what he needed to what do I to get to, to 20 points. Exactly. And that was whether or not you could kind of stand in front of your teammates and be like, you know, I, I did my part here. If you're scoring 20 points here and now you're a minus 30, you're going to get made fun of it for on, on Twitter, by your teammates, by your coaches, by everything. Because... Everyone knows that now. Everyone knows that you got outscored while you were on the floor, and you know the de- the defensive effort shows up in the box score somewhere. Uh, and, and one of the things that went overboard, the pendulum swung too far, was that game to game plus minus doesn't matter. No. Okay. But yes, a one-off randomly picked from thirty years ago in an argument doesn't make any sense. But you can see it consistently where Ekpe Udo is what plus forty on the season. I mean, yeah. he was. He's probably still, still pretty high. Probably leads the Jazz, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been the reason why the Jazz have won the majority of their games. Now, is he the best player? No. no. But when he's come on the floor, his unit has outperformed the unit they're going up against, which has kept the Jazz in games or, in fact, won them games. Right. It's kind of that 
you know, know your role and starting in your role thing that Quinn Snyder always talks about. But if you're doing better than at your role than your your counterparts are doing at theirs, then you're a valuable player. And you know, sure, that doesn't mean that you should get the ball in your hands all the time, but still, I think that changed the game because again, your your Rudy Gay's, your your negative plus minus guys, guys like Doug McDermott and Ennis Cantor, who may have looked really good ten years ago, right, are not. Uh, surprises to start the season. The Orlando Magic uh, are off to a 3-1 and start, and Aaron Gordon actually looks like something may have clicked. He had 41 points the other night yeah. and has was 5-5 five of five from the three-point line, and the night before that was 1-2 of two from the three-point line. So he's shooting, as long as he continues to shoot 80% from the three-point <laughs> line. No, here's the thing. No, if he can shoot 35% from the three-point line or better with his passing skills and his athleticism, he can be a very good NBA player. He's definitely a four. He's definitely a four. He's He's not a three, but I think them playing him there has really helped. Uh, and they lead the Eastern Conference right now. They are. Uh, the Wizards are number two. Bucks are number three, uh, though they did just lose tonight, so they dropped back into a tie with the Nets and the Pistons. Uh, Pistons, Andre Drummond shooting free throws well. The Nets are three and two. Yeah. Andre Drummond's, yeah, as you point out, yeah, shooting free throws well. That's fun and new. Uh, young teams, and this is what the Suns did last night to the Jazz, getting excited and knowing that they're competitive early on is fun, and then you go on losing stretches and, and they quit, and they fall apart, and they stop working as hard. Yeah, and that'll happen to the Nets. Uh, Pistons, I don't believe in, uh, but they could be good. They've got a good coach. Drummond shooting free throws helps, but does not make yeah, them perfect. And you know the Cavaliers are three and two and are tied with them. Cavaliers are going to jump them in no time, and that bumps you down farther. And then the Raptors are going to be good and bump you down farther. Uh, Jakob Pertl has been very good this season. Yeah, uh, made that that sophomore jump that you want to see from him. Yeah, he is not definitely worse than Jonas Valanciunas right now. No, uh, and Valanciunas is he hurt? He's just not playing. And that's why Pirtle is getting a lot of these plays. Yep. All right. Big thanks to JP, our producer, today. Thanks to everyone who tuned in for the Salt City Hoop Show. It's been good to be back. We do expect to be back next week. Yep. We should He's be unless I think there's seven games in the World Series. Andy Larson. Ben Anderson, Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700.